Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. Good morning. I am attorney Katie Dean with the law firm of Locke & Quinn, and welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's law talk radio show. The show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia and especially in the greater Richmond area. Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., the show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, and information from experts and attorneys. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both, both humorous and entertaining stories along with helpful tips, including tips on how to get access to legal services, which is something that not everyone can afford. As a reminder, you can watch a Facebook Live video of today's show by going to the Lock and Quinn page on Facebook. Later on, you can also visit our website, www.lockquinn.com, in order to download videos of all of our episodes. And you can download um, and subscribe to a podcast of the show by searching for Raising the Bar on iTunes. Today, our topic is what happens when your baby bun needs a different oven. <laughs> in other words, when you need to use a surrogate to grow your family. We previously spoke with one of our gestational carriers about what it was like for her to carry um, for three different families. And today I'm joined by Jen Nixon, who's been through this process as a mom or what we in the legal world call an intended parent. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. <laughs> and as a reminder, if you have any questions, you can call into the show at 804-454-1366. Um, so we're going to get started. And first things first, I wanted to go over some of the terminology we might be using um, during today's interview. First of all, if you hear Jen or I talk about art, we are not talking about the paintings that you hang on your wall. <laughs> Art is um, an abbreviation for assisted reproductive technology, and that is anything to do with the process of, um, you know, basically using a doctor and science to uh, to do this whole process. Um, we might use the terms gestational carrier and surrogate interchangeably. Basically, that means someone who is, um, you know, pregnant with a child that they are carrying uh, for someone else to be the parents of. Um, technically, there is this distinction between what we call a true surrogate, which is someone who's a genetic parent um, of the of the child, and what we call a gestational carrier, which is someone who um, is not using their own uh, gametes mm -hmm. <laughs> to form the baby. And um, generally, um, in most cases, the person is a gestational carrier. We might just use the term surrogate um, interchangeably, though, and, and mean gestational carrier. Intended parents are, of course, um, the people who will be uh, the parents of the child and oftentimes are, are the genetic parents of the child as well. Um, ASRM stands for the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, um, and that is a, a medical group that sets a lot of guidelines um, for you know, using gestational carriers and surrogates. Um, and we also might use the term payment, and I just wanted to clarify that in Virginia, under Virginia law, um, you're allowed to pay reimbursements for reasonable medical and ancillary expenses related to the pregnancy, but any agreement to pay compensation in a contract is void and unenforceable under Virginia law, um, not necessarily in other states, but in Virginia. So when we talk about payments today, we're talking about these reimbursements for these living expenses throughout the pregnancy, um, not compensation. 
Although, as Jen will talk about, sometimes still the reimbursements can be quite high. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Jen, um, can you give us a little bit of background about how you became involved with this world of assisted reproductive technology? Sure. So, my husband, Brad, and I uh, got married in 2005, and we started trying for a baby in 2007. Now, when we started off, we obviously didn't go down the road of gestational surrogacy. I don't even think that was a thing I even knew about. Um, And when we were in the process of trying and things weren't working out, and we visited our reproductive endocrinologist, our re. <laughs> um, we started doing IUIs um, and did three of them. And that is like uh, what I like to call turkey basting, <laughs> yes. like the medical turkey basting, <laughs> if you're wondering what that is. Um, we got pregnant on our third try and um, we ended up having a 16-week miscarriage um, in December 2012. Um, so when after that miscarriage, we thought, okay, well, we're just going to do IUI again. Mm-hmm. And if we need to, we'll do IVF. So um, when they were doing what the procedure is called to remove the mm-hmm. pregnancy is um, a DNC. And when they were doing that procedure, the anesthesiologist noticed that I had an arrhythmia that I had never had before. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went with her recommendation to see a cardiologist. Well, that turned into a snowball effect of discovering that I had all these heart issues I co- completely had no idea about and were only made worse by a, by the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, I saw a really, and I still see a really great cardiologist. Um, I went through three cardiac ablations to try and fix the problem um, and nothing worked. And so uh, my cardiologist recommended you cannot be, you just can't be pregnant. Mm-hmm. You can't carry a pregnancy to term safely. So that is when the thought of using a gestational carrier came into play. Around this time, I started reading a blog um, by somebody named Whitney Anderson, who's really involved in the mm-hmm. infertility community. And she was getting ready to use a carrier. Mm-hmm. So I had only found her blog through a miscarriage search on mm-hmm. Google. And it just coincidentally, she was getting ready to do this. And I was then starting, like starting to see, okay, maybe I have to do this too. Mm-hmm. So that is when I realized this is probably the better path for us. We lightly considered adoption, but yeah, this is what we wanted to do. So, um, so anyway, so we started the process and started looking for a carrier, and that's how we um, got into this world. Yeah. So when you very first started thinking about it, you know, you said this wasn't something that was even on your no. radar. So where did you go initially for information on this when you were just trying to figure it out? Um, it really was through blogs of other people who are going through co- and coincidentally going through this at mm-hmm. the same time. And at that time, and like so many years ago, but this was 2013. So at that time, it just wasn't as big of a thing as I feel like it is now talked about. Mm-hmm. So it was just really reading people's blogs and following their stories and sort of seeing that process and seeing that it was available and then visiting like the Resolve page for resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not personally know anybody who had used a carrier. Right. So that so that was the hard part is not being able to personally speak with somebody who could give me advice on it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm also going to uh, do a quick plug here for um, ASRM, which, I'm, as I mentioned before, was the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Um, they do currently um, have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they usually post um, every year or a couple of years um, guidelines for using a gestational carrier, which gives you a lot of really good information about, um, you know, just things you should be thinking about um, if you're thinking about using a gestational carrier. Um, and that's a, a good resource for people, I think, who are yes. just, you know, on the internet because there's, like you said, a lot of information. You just want to make sure that you're getting good information, right information and the right information. Yeah. Um, 
So can you explain to us how you found your gestational carrier? Yeah, so at the time that we were going through this, um, I had been blogging. I'm blogging Mm -hmm. about our experiences because I was trying to make light of a serious and sad situation, but but that's just how I felt like it was mm-hmm. the best way to go about it. So as I was blogging about it, I everyone's following my story and we're then announcing, hey, we're going to need a carrier. Mm-hmm. This is the path we're going to go down. Um, at that time, my husband had worked with um, somebody in high school at a UCROPS. Mm-hmm. And um, they and his wife happened to have been a carrier for another couple um, previously. And mm-hmm. she, we had kept in touch. And so they had been following our blog. Um, as they're following, as she's following the blog, she's realizing she wants to do it again and then contacted us and offered to be our carrier. So we got yeah. really lucky in that sharing the story sort of connected with somebody else, someone who we knew who we never would have thought to ask anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we hear that from a lot of our clients that sometimes they'll just have people come out of the woodworks yes. very unexpectedly. Um, and um, so after you and your gestational carrier agreed to move forward, um, what were the next steps once you kind of matched with this person and she said, you know, I want to, I want to do this for you. Where did you go next? It, well, so that conversation felt like an awkward date because you really are <laughs> sort of dating in a way. And right. I remember being really picky about my outfit mm-hmm. and nervous about the conversation. So when they offered and we had that big relief, mm-hmm. um, the next day, the plan was for me to reach out to our re to our fertility mm-hmm. doctor to schedule a appointment with our mm-hmm. carrier. Um, to be able to see if we were able to move forward. Because while you find a carrier, there's all these things on a checklist that you have to go down and make sure that they meet Yes. before it's like, oh, okay, go, here you go. Here's some embryos. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and the doctors have a checklist and the lawyers mm-hmm, have a checklist yeah. and everyone has all of the... It was first step to a long process. Yeah. Yeah. And I know at some point you came to us. That's <laughs> right. We did. Um, I think Charlie mm-hmm. was actually my call the next day to set... And I she gave me a consult over the phone about what to do. Mm-hmm. And then we made an appointment. Yep. So yes, that's right. We did call you the next day. Yep. Um, and so when people come to our office on the legal side of things, um, Jen was talking about checklists and we do have a checklist that we you know give to people that say, before you even jump into contract drafting, here are all the things that you need to make sure are done. Like you need to make sure that your carrier is medically cleared to do this. Yeah. Um, we recommend um, psychological screening on your carrier. We recommend group counseling and the list has kind of grown longer over the mm-hmm, years as yeah. we've done more It's probably and more. longer than when I did it. I'm sure. Yeah. As we've kind of learned, um, you know, what works, what doesn't. Um, in a lot of cases where, um, especially this is more of an arm's length thing where it's not necessarily a friend that you know, um, we recommend um, background checks, which are really important because we had one case where that became really important that people had matched through an out-of-state program. They had thought that background checks had been done. Background checks had not been done. And it turned out that there was a warrant out for the carrier. And she ended up in jail for the second half of the pregnancy. um, And, you know, still gave birth and, you know, the, uh, you know, intended parents have the baby, but they weren't able to be there for her medical appointments and for delivery. And and a simple background check would have found that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that, that would have popped up on a background check. Um, we also recommend a home visit because if this is someone that you don't, I mean, in your case, it we was knew someone her, yeah. you knew, but if it's someone you don't know, you can really tell a lot about a person and the environment that your child's kind of, kind of be incubating in for nine <laughs> months. Um, and that's, you know, that's something you want to know and just sort of get a sense of her in her home, how she is with her other kids. Right. And is she, calm and, you know, have good family support or 
is this a very chaotic environment? So um, we do have a, a pretty long checklist that keeps growing. <laughs> but it's helpful because then I think from there we knew what we need to do next. Yeah, yeah. And it gives you a roadmap, mm-hmm. I think. So And how much money we needed to have available too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, you went through your checklist, you talked to your doctors, you talked to your lawyers, you got a contract in place. Um, and then what were some of the things you had to navigate after she became pregnant? Um, some things that popped up that we didn't really, you, you don't think about until you're in the midst of it mm-hmm. is, um, who attends ultrasounds? Right. Does her husband attend or her spouse attend? Do her children attend? Um, something as simple as who announces that the beta test came back yeah. with a positive, <laughs> you know, and something like that I didn't even think about, but that mm-hmm. was something we had to navigate. Um, in our case, ours was a um, altruistic surrogacy. So mm-hmm. the expectations were a little different than maybe someone who is providing compensation. Yeah. So we didn't really map out what that expectation was emotionally, and that probably would have helped us through our through our experience. Um, and just sort of like, what kind of help you do you provide? Are you over there helping babysit their kids? Mm-hmm. You know, like how involved are you and with the family? And so those are things that we sort of, we touched on, but didn't really get into until she was then pregnant mm-hmm. and how much support that she needed, um, you know, as well with the, with her children and just in life. Yeah. Um, and I can sort of say from the lawyers, you know, perspective, as we've done more and more of these contracts, this gets negotiated more and more like really down to the details of, because we've seen, you know, from arrangements, people may have different expectations about what that's going to look like during the pregnancy. And so we'll put in contracts like, you know, intended parents will call at least twice a week Mm -hmm. and gestational carrier agrees to, you know, respond to any messages within X amount of time. And you don't think you need to put that in, but you do. (laughs) You do. Yes, absolutely. And we've had, we have clients come back to us and say, oh no, this is, you know, my sister-in-law, it's fine. We'll just figure it out. And you know, we, we from the legal side are like, yeah, but we're just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and it figure hurt. it out yeah. now before anyone's pregnant. Um, Better because- just set that ahead of time. So mm-hmm. when you're then in it, you can, if ever, there ever is an issue, you can revert back to that agreement that you have. Absolutely. And I'll also mention that under um, Virginia law, it does say that the gestational carrier is responsible for the clinical management of the pregnancy. So, um, you know, under our law that she does have that you know, that right and that control. That being said, in the contract, a lot of the times we will, you know, there's a very extensive section in our like 60 page contract Mm -hmm. that we have that says gestational carrier agrees to, you know, not drink wine, not drink, you know, excessive caffeine. And, you know, so she is agreeing to quite a lot in the contract um, while still, you know, acknowledging that she's responsible for that, that clinical management. But that can be a tricky thing to navigate because she's her body, but your baby. So ours, um, is a big runner. And Mm -hmm. so that was a big discussion on at what point should she start running? And so what we decided was we'll go with the recommendation of her. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. but she wanted to see a midwife. So we went with the recommendation of her midwife. So for some things you have to relinquish control, you know what I mean? Because it's not, the things that maybe your lifestyle is harder to put on somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you got to pick your battles. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, her using a midwife. Was that something that was... That is not my... and no bad things to people who who like that. That is not my thing. I am a doctor person. <laughs> so when we were doing this, I really wanted to use my doctor. Mm-hmm. But that now knowing, it, that's crazy to think because 
this is a person who is going to go through all this medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's, they need to feel comfortable. Right. So she really wanted to use a midwife. She had used a doctor for her past pregnancies, except for her last, she used a midwife and she enjoyed that experience. And so that was something I had to let go of. And I yeah. had to be open to a midwife, even though that's not something I would use. That yeah. was the experience and the um, the support that she wanted. So. Yeah. And that is something that definitely gets navigated. Yeah, home, a lot of people want home births mm-hmm. or a doula. And then who pays for that? Right. That, you know? Absolutely. Um, and is it covered by her insurance? Mm-hmm. And if not, is that an expense that's going to come back on the intended parents? So what about things like disclosures? You mentioned early on that you were blogging about this. So you guys, I'm assuming, were pretty open. Yeah, we were very open. Now, we did agree that we would not use um, her name until, I believe, 12 weeks we decided. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, she actually wrote a blog introducing herself and her and her children and her husband. Okay. So at that point, then she was out. Yeah. Um, so we were really open. Um, we even were interviewed by Richmond Times-Dispatch. <laughs> um, and so our situation was a little different than right. most who— don't want to be as open. Mm-hmm. So um, so I guess it's it's a big important thing that you need to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. And we have agreements that really run the gamut, I think, from people who want to be very not open, not Facebook, not, you know, posting Nothing, about yeah. this. And um, people who are, you know, fine just really sharing it. And I think the important thing is just make sure everyone's on the same page. Right, because you that. don't want to share. Well, something that came up was because I was blogging, I had shared right away when we found out that um, she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that came back later as an issue because I guess that she wasn't ready because some of her friends read my blog and then found that out. Yeah. So you really have to like be clear about exactly when you're going to make these announcements because you, if you're friends, you have mutual friends. Right. So in that case, that came up. So something to think about. Right. And even with not using her name, I'm sure there's still a... They know who you, they yeah. know who that person is. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, families, you know, obviously your, you know, family knew, her whole her family, family knew. knew. Yeah. Because yeah, mm-hmm. she had done this before. Yes. Um. So what's the role of her husband and children in all of this? I think it depends on the carrier. For our carrier, he really wanted to be involved in sort of the children. Mm -hmm. Um, And the expectation, I think, of their involvement was maybe a little different a little bit different than what we had thought it would mm-hmm. be. And so that sort of created a little bit of problem within the pregnancy. Um, so it, it's something you really need to be clear about. And that goes back to like um, how involved are the children within your, your like pregnancy mm-hmm. in that who attends these ultrasounds. Right. Is it okay that the kids come? We didn't have that discussion and, and they brought their kids to our, um, uh, I think it was like a, 12-week ultrasound, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, they brought their daughter to our embryo transfer. And so, you know, you want to do your best to make this work because it is a a relationship that's sort of awkward because you're you're even closer than you are with your spouse in a way. Mm -hmm. And so um, we didn't want to rock the boat, Mm -hmm. even though it it really bothered us when these things happened, more than maybe we expected when we were being polite and saying, no, it's okay. So I think it's really something you have to like think about and nail down and, and say like, at what? how much involvement do you want your children to have? Mm-hmm. And then you need to really think, like, is that, are you okay with that? And it's better to be upfront if you aren't than to be in the midst of it all and be like, no, I'm not okay with that. And then it becomes upsetting for both parties. Right, because once she's pregnant, there's yeah. no getting out of, no, uh, you know, this relationship. Um, right. And it's, so it is easier, I think, to have some of these 
conversations, but it's, you know, you learn from you the learn process. From, yes, you do. The doctors learn and the lawyers learn. Um, and um, I will also say that if you have a gestational carrier who is married, her husband under Virginia law does have to be a party to the contract um, in Virginia. So we've had, you know, some where they're like, oh, does he, you know, he doesn't really, you know, not that involved, but he does he have is, to be a yeah. party to the contract. Um, and part of that is because in Virginia, um, if um, at least one of the intended parents is a genetic parent of the child, then um, what happens at the hospital, you know, after the baby is born is um, you fill out birth certificate amendment paperwork mm-hmm. at the hospital, which basically says, you know, this, uh, this person gave birth to the baby. She's a gestational carrier. She and her husband both sign off like, you know, we were carrying this child for someone else. Mm-hmm. We're not the parents. You know, it's fine to issue a birth certificate with our names not on it and with the names of these intended parents on right. it. And then um, intended parents, you know, sign as well. And everyone can sign um, immediately except for the gestational carer who has to wait three days after birth, um, which is, I think, generally a good idea because she's hopped up on the drugs. Yeah, right, so. exactly, yeah. <laughs> you want her to be, you know, um, fully out of that. So, but everyone can sign those things to the hospital, but the husband of the gestational carer has to be involved and that's why he has to be a party to the contract because there are things that you don't realize that he's going to be expected to do right. as well. Um, and, you know, he has to... Um, you know, kind of agree that he's not going to expose her to, you know, anything that's going to cause problems mm-hmm. in the pregnancy, um, that he's going to abide by all the, you know, doctor, he's not going to go like to a Zika country and come right, back. And come back yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there, there is a lot that you don't really realize that her family is going to be involved and in this And her family too. is her support mm-hmm. too, because you can't be with them all the time. And right. so you have to make sure that that's secure and that they are um, okay with the whole situation. Right. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked a little bit about this already, but you mentioned sort of the level of communication and emotional support during the pregnancy. And that was something you guys sort of had to navigate Mm -hmm. a little bit. Was that, um, something you kind of like learned as you went or? It was, um, I think that looking back, we, we really should have been clearer about, um, the types of how often they wanted to talk, how mm-hmm. often they wanted to see us, how often they wanted us to be a part of their children's lives mm-hmm. and what that level of commitment was. I think that w- because we didn't have that s- really clear conversation, it grew into problems later throughout the um, the pregnancy. Um, so, you know, some, some, some people that I've met now who have gone through this, their carriers don't want that level of commitment. They right. don't want to be that involved. They don't want to, you to text them and call them all the time. Mm-hmm. So you really have to like measure how much and, and have, and ask your carrier to be honest. Right. Because you don't want to be in the midst of this pregnancy. And then all of a sudden you're getting, well, you're not coming over and spending enough time with our children. You're not spending enough time with us. You're not doing this. You're not, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that that right. was expected. So, so it's really important. It's important to have really hard conversations from the get-go and mm-hmm. it's awkward, totally, but you have to, you have to talk about the hard things because even if it never comes up, you talked about it. Right. Like you said, it's like dating. Yeah, it's so, so like dating. <laughs> All right. Um, and I think with a lot of these things, um, like we said, as we get more into contract drafting, uh, this is something that we I mean, it's amazing the level of like nitpicky detail that some of our contracts get into, but it is so important. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think that that is also a reason why we really, really push as attorneys um, getting that psych clearance and um, psych counseling. So um, before we get too much more into this, I think we are getting ready to take a break soon, but just remember that you can call into the show if you have questions. Um, The number is 804 
That's 804-454-1366. And I'm here. My name is Katie Dean with Law Firm of Black and Quinn talking with Jen Nixon, who has been through the gestational carrier process as an intended mom and has continued to, I think, stay involved in this world as an advocate for other families, which she's going to talk about a little bit more after the break. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Welcome back. You are listening to Raising the Bar, Richmond's Law Talk radio show. And today we're discussing the world of assisted reproductive technology with Jen Nixon, who had a child via assisted reproductive technology um, and remains a great advocate for families um, trying to navigate this process and everything that goes along with it. Um, so we had, before the break, been talking about what this experience was like, you know, finding a carrier, matching, going through that whole process and the pregnancy. So what happens when the baby is born? How did that work for you guys? Um, so at the time that the last month, we, at that point, were having some problems b- between us and mm-hmm. um, and our carrier. And so my husband was really involved in making sure that, like, he was attending appointments mm-hmm. and all and all that. Um, so when it came time for the birth, it was a lot of high stress just mm-hmm. because we were having these issues. Um, but I will say that it, it's important to really— and we had done this before, so this this wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Setting forth who is going to be in the delivery room mm-hmm. and making that clear from the get-go and making sure that your carrier is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, in our situation, we were both planning on being in the delivery room, but because we were at this point in our um, our experience, I had opted to be waiting in our room, mm-hmm. and they bring um, Zoe to me, our daughter, because I really wanted to be— I really wanted to meet her on my own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that you don't think about is when you're going through pregnancy and this whole experience of even IVF without a carrier, you're doing it with you as a couple or you and your— and your spouse, your 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 brother, sister, whoever your support system is, and you're not sharing it with like outsiders. Mm-hmm. And so this experience is very much sharing private moments with outsiders. There's right. someone there who wouldn't normally be there for a gender reveal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or um, just every appointment was letting other people in. And so when it came time for the birth, I was I just really was certain that I wanted to do this and experience that moment, you know, on my own. So that was something we had then discussed as we got closer. And so she mm-hmm. was aware, but my husband was in the room and he cut the umbilical cord and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so you do have to be clear about who's going to be in the room. Um, how 
is she okay with you seeing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what, <laughs> what area do you want to be in? private moment yeah. for her too. So, yeah. Um, and can, can your spouse or you or whoever cut the umbilical cord, mm-hmm. um, something that, that was lightly discussed was if her daughter would be in the room. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with her having family in the room or who, whoever um, her support system will be? Um, and then in C-section circumstances, that changes things a little bit differently. And so right. who's going to be the person in that yeah. instance? Um, when the baby is born, who does the baby go on um, on the the carrier's stomach because some places do um, delayed cord clamping. Mm-hmm. Um, are you okay with that? Does the baby come to you? Are you going to do skin to skin? Are you going to breastfeed? That is something that you can absolutely do. I did it with my daughter. Um, you can induce um, lactation. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to think about. Like, do you want to do that? Do you want your carrier to pump for you? Mm-hmm. Or do you want your carrier to breastfeed? Um, so it's a very high stress situation when, during the birth. So to really figure that yeah, every that stuff single out before, detail. It, yeah. It's going to make that stressful situation easier because you're like, oh, we already have this all planned out. Right. So, um, and you also want to think about after the baby's born, skin to skin is over, where are you staying? Mm-hmm. Will the hospital let you have your own room? Um, we delivered at St. Francis and they were great. They let us have our own room. They were super accommodating. Yeah. And I think now more hospitals are, We, I think we were, I don't know if we were the first, but one of very few surrogacies. Mm-hmm. By now, they probably have had so many that it's an easy thing. Yeah. So just sort of having that discussion. And what if the hospital's full? Are you okay with staying in the room with your carrier? Mm-hmm. So just like things like that to navigate that you don't really think about. Right. Uh, and we do try and pre-plan to the extent that we can with hospitals and sort of let them know, hey, this person is due around the state or due to be induced on the state. This is a, you know, surrogacy situation. Mm-hmm. These are the intended parents. And so, um, you know, we do our best on the legal side to sort of prep the hospital for this so that it does go smoothly. But that being said, sometimes you get a social worker who's new. Right, and, you who know, hasn't, doesn't, yeah, who doesn't, no, yeah. not familiar with that situation. Right, um, or you get a hospital that's full or, you know, so you do kind of have to be prepared for unexpected uh uh, things to come up. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of the hospitals around here, like you said, are, are yeah, really great. Yeah, we had great, a great experience. Yeah, Really great about it. So um, that's always nice. And then, like I mentioned earlier, um, after the baby is born, as long as one of the um, intended parents is a genetic parent, um, then we can do the birth certificate amendment paperwork, um, you know, at the hospital and the carrier can sign three days after um, the baby's born. And then that way um, at the hospital, everything that gets filled out on the report of birth has the gestational carrier's name, but then nobody requests that birth certificate. Mm-hmm. You wait until the paperwork's filled out, and then the first birth certificate that gets issued has the intended parents' names on the birth certificate. Um, and then there are slightly different legalities um, just for different situations. Like if you know you used a donated embryo, um, and so neither of the intended parents are the genetic parents, um, then you, you know, you're looking at an, an adoption, which is just a slightly different legal, uh, you know, legal way to secure parentage. Right. But um, so, and we have, you know, some different recommendations for our same-sex couples as well. You yes. know, we usually recommend a, an adoption in that case also, but, um, either, you know, at the end of the day, we make sure everyone Everyone's who's meant to yeah. be a parent is a parent. Um, and people who are not, did not intend to be parents are not, uh, you know, they're relieved of their legal obligations. Um, so all in all from, you know, sort of starting this process through, you know, getting your daughter at the end of it. Um, what was the cost of all of this for you? Um, so if we're including our IUI cycles mm-hmm. before that, I think that we spent probably close to forty to $45,000. Mm-hmm. Now, we did a shared success plan. So that's, that upped our amount a little bit more, where if someone was going in and just going to do a single cycle of IVF, it probably would have cut it down significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for the shared success plan, I think we spent $22,000 on that. And it was great because you, we had been through miscarriage before, so we sort of wanted to have that peace of mind. So if um, it would let you, ha- I think you get six cycles mm-hmm. of IVF. And, um, and so it was just nice. And yes, we did it on the first try and I do not regret spending right. that money at all. It was, and it was, a, it was good for us for some couples. That's not, you know, mm-hmm. something that they can do. So, um, because this was an uh, altruistic surrogacy, then we didn't have the issue of compensation, um, though at the end we did provide some due to like the situation that mm-hmm. we were in by that time. Um, so it depends on how much money you have budgeted for to be able to provide compensation. And then having that conversation, obviously, with your carry out front of like what their expectation is for, and that's obviously written in your contract right. too. Yeah, and some of them do, um, you know, again in Virginia, the where we use in the contracts is reimbursements. For yes, reimbursements. That's right. <laughs> not, not comps. Not, not compensation. Um, but some um, carriers, especially if they're not um, in one of these compassionate, you know, friend mm-hmm. or family arrangements, do get a little bit more in terms of their reimbursements for their monthly mm-hmm. living expenses. So that is um, an added expense that can add another maybe twenty to twenty-five thousand yeah. over the course of you know the pregnancy. Um, it's not like a lump sum that, <laughs> that no, they're getting. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just you know, over ten months of her sort of going through all this and and being pregnant. And then there are other things sometimes that come up like maternity clothes Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, if she's out of work and needs childcare or housekeeping, if she's on bed rest, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what if she has to go through a C-section? Is that like an additional, you know, amount that um, she's going to need some living expense reimbursement reimbursements for? And that's, that's just all amounts that go to your carrier. And like you talked about, the medical can be Really, really expensive, expensive as well. And not just the medical of actually making your baby, right. but the actual hospital stay. Mm-hmm. What is what does her insurance look like? Absolutely. And that is so, so crucial that you know on the front end, um, and we do at our office, we insist on good, thorough insurance reviews of a gestational carrier's insurance policy to make sure that there's no exclusion for maternity coverage if she's acting as a gestational carrier, um, which is... N- kind of rare, but we do see them in some um, insurance policies where it says, you know, here's maternity coverage, except if you're going to be a gestational carrier that you're not covered Mm -hmm. because you're having a baby for someone else. Um, So we want to make sure there's nothing like that in there. We want to make sure that the insurance um, company doesn't consider the intended parents other insurance um, Mm -hmm. and so that they're going to try to to subrogate there. Um, And, you know, we want to make sure everyone's clear on that the baby's going on the intended parents insurance. As soon as they're born. Yeah. Yeah. so we've had, you know, some people say, oh, well, why can't, you know, the carrier just put the baby on her insurance? And I'm like, well, because if the insurance company doesn't know that she's not intending to raise the child, then you're- That changes things. Yes, yeah. and you're getting, I'm sure the insurance company, you, you, you never want to lie to your insurance right. company. <laughs> and it's important to have those funds available too in preparation to get, I mean, they the hospital will bill you so quick after mm-hmm. that baby's born, but the bill goes to your carrier, and so in making sure that you have the funds available to then cover that too, yeah. because you don't want that to be an issue. Right, right. Um, and then, so you've got the medical, you've got legal expenses, because you've got to pay your lawyers to draft the contract, which in the grand scheme of things, I think is a smaller chunk of change oh, totally. than, you're, yeah. <laughs> than you're spending elsewhere. Um, and then we talked about um, if you're doing like site clearance or group therapy, that mm-hmm. can be an expense that usually the intended parents pick up. Um, and, and then her um, lawyer representation. Yep. Yeah, that's so she's going to have separate representation. Um, Don't skip that. Do not <laughs> skip that at all because, uh, you know, you want your contract to be good and enforceable. And that's why 
both parties need to have good, competent, separate representation. Um, and But that is a, a cost mm-hmm. the intended parents pick up. Um, and then something that I think a lot of people don't think about is when you're growing your family, um, and this is often written into our contracts, the intended parents have to have their estate planning documents. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. In and place. it's good to have. Now I'm glad we have it. Yes. Um, because if someone else is carrying this child for you and you know, God forbid you're in a car accident or something in the middle of the pregnancy, the carer needs to know, okay, who's taking this Mm -hmm. baby that I, you know, was carrying, but have no intention of parenting. Um, So uh, yeah, this can be, and, but estate planning, again, you're paying lawyers to draft up those documents and that's, that's an extra expense. So um, there are a lot of little bits to this that can make it even in compassionate situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the birth certificate amendment too, yeah, paying for that. Yeah, that's another um, bit of, you know, legal fees. And sometimes I think people have insurance policies that will cover wow. uh, like the a little bit of the medical, wow. but I think that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we, we pretty rarely have people that have any kind of insurance coverage for the fertility clinic medical yeah, expenses. That's fair. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, usually the maternity is covered through the carrier's mm-hmm. insurance, but the fertility expenses are not. So, um you go through this long, expensive, complicated process. And at the end of it, you get to start another long, expensive, complicated, but great process of being a parent. A parent. <laughs> yes. So um, is it something that you and your husband have talked about in terms of how to talk to Zoe about yeah. oh, how she came I, into yes. the world? And I will absolutely be honest with her. Mm-hmm. At two and a half years old, she is already identifying that if she has things, objects of different sizes, that the big one is the daddy, the medium <laughs> is the mommy, and the little one is the baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know who is teaching her this, but not the big one isn't always the daddy, and that's yeah. not, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then she's also, you're wearing pink for girl. Who, mm-hmm. you know, so it's already like, oh my gosh, you're two and a half years old, and I need to correct yeah. all these things. And so you know what's going to come next mm-hmm. is babies come from mommy's tummies. Yeah. And so— I, I have to, and I need to do this soon because you know it's coming if she's already doing this, is to come up with a way to say that's not always the case, Mm -hmm. you know? And mommy, there's not always a mommy. There's not always a daddy. And so figuring out a way to navigate that, but absolutely being honest with her about where she came from because it wouldn't be fair to her to not share that information. And so it's funny that I guess I thought I had until she was maybe five. (laughs) So now that she's already doing this, I'm seeing that I need to really come up with a plan to make her see that my, my tummy's broken and so someone else lent me their yeah. tummy. Kangaroo mommy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's maybe finding a book to, that would be appropriate for that age to explain it. Yeah. But, and then it, and then one day, even thinking about, will she want to meet her? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have to be open to that too and, and thinking about that. So it's a definitely... It doesn't end just at the baby being born. There's a whole nother— There's a person yeah, at the end of this. Yeah, yeah, who has to be able to be okay with the path that you took to be right. able to have them. Yeah, and I, you know, what we have to explain to people sometimes is, you know, your your child's not a party to the contract. And so, you know, they might have questions and curiosity, mm-hmm. and you know, about this process. And that, you know, I, I think you guys are being very smart and being— very open and you know, open-minded and prepared for all of that. But there are books, I think, for as yeah, more and more mm-hmm. people start to use this process. It's becoming a, yeah, um, people are discovering they need more ways to be able to explain this, especially to such a small child when you right. don't think that's the age that they would but <laughs> start asking. Yeah, but you can't control what other people are teaching them. So, right. yeah. yeah, you have to be able to start at home and let them know that there's other ways to come into this world. Yeah, Absolutely. So having been through this entire process yourself, I know you've stayed pretty active in the um, infertility community in Richmond. Um, What are some um, suggestions that you have for 
um, other families that are sort of starting this process? Any? I would absolutely recommend doing counseling. Mm-hmm. We skipped this as a money saver, and because we had kept in touch with them and were were friends, mm-hmm. um, so we just avoided this counseling session. I think even now you might require it. We very, very strongly suggest. Suggest, yes. yes. And, and I, yeah, I agree with this. There's enough, and the, the issue with um, this kind of world of using a gestational carrier is that there aren't a lot of like legal requirements. There aren't like licensed surrogacy it's agencies. It's all recommendations and guidelines, and we get them from the American Bar Association has guidelines, the um, American Academy of Adoption and Assisted Reproductive Technology Attorneys, which is a mouthful, um, has guidelines. ASRM has guidelines. And so we're kind of, all of these groups are working together to figure out best practices that we're really trying to encourage people to use, but there aren't like hard and fast, you must do X, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, X, Y, and Z. Um, So we just kind of have to tell, okay, well, here's what happened in this other situation that we don't want to happen to you, and this is why you should, you know, follow this recommendation. I wish we had done it. And I think that having someone there, and there's counselors now that specialize in in surrogacy. And so having someone there to talk individually with them, individually with us and us together as a group, and broaching those maybe uncomfortable questions that we thought we had discussed, but we didn't, you know, because the whole time you're trying not to ruin Mm -hmm. this amazing offer that was handed to you. And so you're very delicately trying to keep this relationship afloat. Mm -hmm. And so you're afraid to maybe say some things that might cause problems. And so having a counselor there to be the mediator, right? that's a third party to kind of mm -hmm. ask those questions. So you're not, instead of later down the road, yeah, you need them. Yeah. Well, and then you also have a basis for if problems do arise, you know, later down the road, you can go back to that counselor mm-hmm. that, you know, um, sort of group sessions to maybe try and mediate them that way. Yeah, so. you don't want it to happen when you haven't had any of that experience before. You don't want it to happen in the middle of a pregnancy right. when tensions are high and you don't have any of this basis with a counselor already. Right. So what about for people, um, you know, you you talked about how your match with your carrier was you know, through a friend and kind of through blogging. Um, For other people that are just starting to explore this, um, where should they start looking if they don't have a friend or family member that they know is going to do this for them? So from people that I've met through this experience and being um, involved in the surrogacy community in Richmond, um, I've gotten to see a lot of different ways to be able to find a carrier. So um, one way was I know somebody who ended up emailing everyone she knew and poured her heart out and the Mm -hmm. story and her cousin came forward and offered Mm -hmm. to carry for her. Um, Social media, I mean, if you're a private person, it's going to be hard, but you sort of have to sell yourself. Mm -hmm. I know I hate saying that, but you do um, to be able to make a connection with someone who maybe has thought about carrying, Mm -hmm. um, who then needs that little like, oh, but we know each other. Right. You know what I mean? Or I know so-and-so that knows you. Um, Blogging. Yeah. That was that. I mean, for obviously it helped us, but that's a good way. And mm-hmm. also it, it helps keep your friends and family in the loop because yeah. there's a lot, they get really involved in it and it keeps it, you know, easy to just do one blog and mm-hmm. everyone can read it, but you never know who that will reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, you know, telling your story, just sharing mm-hmm. it no matter to anyone you meet and you never know. Yeah. you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork and offer. And when that does happen, it's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, and I will say that in Virginia, it is not legal for anyone to basically be a surrogacy broker um, and charge a match fee. So um, if you are trying to find a surrogate, just be careful that you are not paying someone to match you up right. with a surrogate. Um, there are websites that you can go to, like Surreal Moms, Moms Online, yeah. I think, um, is one that people use. That, and that's just, I mean, they're kind of similar almost to like adoptive parent profiles yeah, mm-hmm. where you're just putting your profile online. And Picture of like to, the carrier and then she, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, also, there's a lot of Facebook matching groups mm-hmm. um, with intended parents and then potential carriers um, getting together and being able to match that way. Yeah. Um, and then th- can they contact Yes, you they can too. contact our office. Um, and occasionally, you know, we'll have people, again, we do not charge a match fee because you cannot do that in Virginia. Um, but yeah, sometimes we do have um, people who have expressed interest in being carriers to us that we keep profiles on. Um, and, you know, if we have clients come in for a consult that are looking for a carrier, sometimes we're able to, um, you know, people are, are able to match that way. Um, but yeah, so you don't want to be paying a match fee. Um, and you also want to be careful. There's a lot of, you know, organizations out there that call themselves surrogacy agencies. Um, and, you know, they can be helpful in coordinating things like that. They usually, they're out of state. Um, they usually do charge match fees um, in states where that's legal, um, which is going to, you know, add to your cost. And also, I don't like the term agency, neither yeah. does um, Colleen, who's been, you know, kind of an expert in this field, been doing it for a long time um, because there's really no such thing as a surrogacy, a licensed surrogacy agency, because like I said, we don't have licensing regulations. Right. So so we call them surrogacy programs and we just remind everyone who's looking at, at them that they are, they are programs, um, not necessarily like adoption agencies, which are licensed and they right. do have to follow guidelines and everything like that. Um, so since you've, been through this experience, you've stayed really involved in this community. Um, what are some of the ways that you've been able to use your experience to help others after going through this yourself? What are some of the organizations you've stayed involved um, in? I, I stayed involved in the our local Resolve support group. Mm-hmm. Not as much as I want to now because I have... <laughs> Busy with Zoe, but right. but that has been a really big part of my life. I've met amazing friends through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got my job through meeting somebody through that, um, and that has been a really big help. Um, when I was starting our surrogacy pro- process, I, my mom and I co-founded the Race to Parenthood 5K, mm-hmm. um, and so we are the featured event and fundraiser for the Road to Parenthood. We became a nonprofit, um, and we help spread infertility awareness in the community along with with providing grants to couples who are struggling to pay for their um, fertility treatments, surrogacy, adoption, mm-hmm. um, past to parenthood. So I try to stay involved. And also we have a Richmond workshop, the fertility workshop, which yep. is very helpful. We did a surrogacy, you were on it, mm-hmm. um, a surrogacy session this past year. It's coming back up, I think, in um, October or November. Yeah, I think it's usually around that time. Yeah, and so that's a really good way to be able to meet others who are maybe going through the same um, experience as you and then to be able to meet um organizations that can be able to help lead them maybe to the answers they have, the question, answers to the questions they have. Yeah. And there's a lot of resources there. Um, and I think we're going to try to post on our website, a list of, um, just some of the resources for people, especially, um, to get grants or, you know, funding, because as we said, you know, this can be a really expensive process, but the, um, race to parenthood and road to parenthood are great, um, resources for people around here. Um, to do that. And then, of course, the fertility workshop at University of Richmond every year is always um, always a really good um, resource um, because I think, you know, like you said, when you first started this, you didn't really know anyone else no, and now- who had been through it. And there is this community out there now. Um, and so it's, I think, really helpful for families to be mm-hmm. able to connect um, like that. So are, is there anything in having gone through this entire process that you're 
really glad you did? Or, I mean, you sort of talked about things you would do differently yeah. with the counseling. Is there anything that worked really well that you would say definitely do this? Um, let's see. I don't know if I have any, like, good— I mean, regardless of the experience between us and our carrier, it really ended—it ended in an amazing, amazing gift. Right. And so I think that I'm glad that we were open. I'm glad that um, that we used her. Mm -hmm. She had a super healthy, amazing baby for us. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we were blogging and sharing our story because without doing that, it wouldn't have led me to— the road to parenthood, right. you know, that wouldn't have happened. Um, and I'm glad that uh, we were able to be lucky enough to to be able to have our daughter yeah. and to go through that. So, um, but I definitely would use Lock and Quinn for, <laughs> for assistance and being able to lead people to what they need to do because you really need that navigation. Mm-hmm. You can't do this on your own and don't try and skip on money or paying for things because in the end it will bite you. So you definitely have to like um, keep with the recommendations that you have. Yeah. And we do try again, because this is something that, you know, people first starting out, I think don't really know where to start. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for on the legal side of things, our role in a lot of cases is kind of quarterbacking this and coordinating it um, for people and just sort of giving them that roadmap um, because obviously they're getting part of that through their fertility clinic, but that's mostly the medical side Mm -hmm. of things. Um, and really trying to encourage people. I mean, I know you mentioned earlier the counseling being really important, which we always remind mm-hmm. people of. Um, and something else that we talked a little bit about during the break is, you know, just we are always trying to make sure that people aren't looking at their contract as just a check mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because people usually when they get to the point of, all right, they need a contract in place, they're going to do a transfer and use a gestational carrier. They've been going through this process of wanting to grow their family for years. Um, and this has been a really long, um, difficult, expensive process. And Wait, they're that, sort of starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and they just want to rush through it. And their clinic says, okay, well, you have to have legal clearance. We need a letter from your lawyer saying you have a contract in place mm-hmm. and we can do the transfer. And, you know, we get people that are just like, okay, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Um, and it's so, so important to talk about what's going to go in your contract, make sure you understand what's in your contract, read your contract. Yes, read it. Um, All 60 pages. Yes, all 60 pages. um, And make sure that, you know, you as the intended parents have good, competent representation, that your carrier has good, competent representation. Um, You can talk to your attorneys about what's in there, ask them questions, negotiate things that you're not sure about. Um, That's that's so, so important. Um, And, you know, really get down into the nitty gritty the whole point of the contract is you want to put all of this stuff in there and plan for all of these bad scenarios so that ideally none of them happen. Nothing happens, but in case. Yeah, I mean, the more stuff you put in the contract, you know, Colleen and I always say, you know, people must think that we... Uh, sit around and think up, you know, the awful things, things ever. Yeah. But that is, that's the job of lawyers is to just, you know, make sure that all of this is planned for so that it can be as smooth of a process as possible. All right. So um, I think we are uh, about at the end of our time, but Jen, thank you so much You're for this joining me today um, and being so open to talk about your experience. Um, you have been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's Law Talk radio show. Um, please join us next week um, as Colleen Quinn, I believe, is going to be back with us for the radio show. And remember, you can visit our website, lockquinn.com, in order to download videos of all of our Raising the Bar episodes, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Listening in, and we will see you next week.